Well, it hasn't happened yet. I'm Brian. I'm CJ. This is Isaac. And today we are joined by Simler, aka Grace Baldridge. Grace, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Semler, also known as Grace. CJ, you crushed that. Uh, I am a documentary host and I'm also a singer and a songwriter. And I put out a record uh, this year called Preacher's Kid. And we hit the number one spot on the Christian's iTunes, which was super cool because I'm super gay and I'm also super happy to be here. <laughs> oh yeah, best intro of the pod so far. <laughs> Short and sweet. Like that just hits kind of the main points. I think uh, super gay and happy to be here is what most of our episodes are about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fair enough. I was just going to say, I, you know, the, when it hit the, well, maybe we should start beforehand. Like, I guess, like, lead us into how you got to that moment. Because I remember when it happened on Twitter and I was like, oh my God, what is, what, what is going on? And like, the kind of, usually that's like, there's something kind of like, I don't want to see the end result of like what's happening on Twitter. But this is one of those like moments where like Twitter was actually fulfilling a purpose in my life that was a good thing. Uh, so I, I guess like leading us into like how you got to that place, like how it ended up uh, charting like that, like whether it was intentional, you know, because it, it was, I think it was coming on the heels of the whole GameStop uh, stock thing too. So there felt like some, Yeah, it some, was. Okay. It was around the same time, like within a few months of that, yeah. Destroying all the institutions in one go. Yeah, just take oh, them all out. <laughs> what what else are we put on this earth to do than to just praise and rage? Um, so this all started because, well, I mean, I, I it all started like as a kid growing up in a rectory, right? If you go way, way back. But in the immediacy of writing Preacher's Kid and putting it out, I hosted a documentary series called State of Grace, where we explored the intersection of faith and American life. And the very last episode that we recorded before we went into quarantine was about inclusion in the Christian music industry, sort of checking in with these major players that I had grown up listening to at home. We went to Nashville. We spoke with a number of people from various walks of life who were just basically cast out or excluded or marginalized by Christian music gatekeepers for, I thought, <laughs> fraudulent reasons. Um, and they were always able to act beyond reproach because they can always say we're serving the kingdom. You know, we are a Christian genre. Like it's not you, it's just Christianity. And I was like, well, that's kind of fucked up. So we came back uh, from filming that episode. I had these conversations just swirling in my head. And then I downloaded TikTok because we we're trapped alone at home. And I started the algorithm started showing me like ex-evangelical hashtags and progressive Christian Christian hashtags. And it just like these wheels started turning. I had like repressed memories come to the front because I'd always said that, oh, I don't have any religious trauma because when I came out, my dad, who's a priest, ultimately accepted me. So I don't, I don't want to take up any space in this conversation because I didn't have any religious trauma. And wouldn't you know, as as soon as I'm alone with my thoughts for like the first time in years, I was like, oh shit, I have some things I need to deal with. And I've always been writing music. It's my main method of uh, expressing myself. It's kind of like a radio that kind of that goes in my head. Doesn't mean it's a great radio station. It just means it is always something I can tap into. I leaned in, I started tapping into it. And by mid-January, Preacher's Kid had been, had been totally written. And then as far as the, the game stop of it all and trying to hit number one, I never thought we would reach number one. I Because we hadn't... 
maybe I, I was naive to think this, but I just hadn't seen this sort of representation. I didn't know that there were going to be other people who would relate to this experience because it felt so specific to me. And I think that the, the big con that uh, like capitalist Christianity has convinced a lot of people of is that like if you couldn't hang, that's a you problem. There's no one else out there like you. That's kind of a you thing. And you should be a little ashamed of that. You should be a little quiet and not make that a big deal. So I didn't know that there were going to be that many people that related to it. I thought it would be cool if we cracked top 40. So I made TikTok videos. I did my best to promote it independently. I recorded everything in this room with my USB mic. I did my very best. (laughs) I really tried, but I didn't know what was going to happen. And then, you know, a few days after the release, maybe like the came out on February 5th, maybe February 7th or something, we hit number one and we held it down for a few days, you know, and that was like beyond my wildest dreams. And I think mostly just a source of encouragement of like, no, 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 like we're here now. We've found each other. You said that we were alone. We're not alone. You said we wouldn't find fulfillment. We found fulfillment. We found each other. Now I'm at, now I'm at the point where I'm like, let's fucking go. Like how much more can we do? This was just you know, with this project in this office, not understanding the scope and the scale of what we could reach. And now I'm speaking with people like yourself and I'm finding other points of connection. So now like, I'm more fired up than ever. Imagining a a sermon about quarantine where (laughs) most folks are the like seed that landed off the path and got choked out immediately. And then there's Grace who the seed of the quarantine fell in good soil and she's actually produced something. The rest of us got like eaten up by the birds and everything else. <laughs> yeah, yep. Listen, I got eaten up by the birds in other ways as well. Okay, it was not it was not all fruitful. Um, and to be honest, it feels like preacher's kid. I don't think I knew it was going to be fruitful. It felt definitely like a seed outside of the path for a long time. Like the night before I released it, I just remember like looking at Lizzie, my wife, and being like, "Is this the?" dumbest thing I've ever done. Like, is this the worst thing I've ever done? Is And I'd like listen to the music and I'd be like, all of this is bad. All of it's bad. I hate all of it. It's so bad. And yeah, so I don't... I've had a lot of uh, of bad seed in my life as well. That's... I mean, quarantine was not the the best season for anyone, I don't think. Like, Oh man. No. So I'm... I'm living with my parents right now. I'm an adult, but I live with my parents. And when I was listening to um, Jesus from Texas, especially, I, as is well established, I'm a Texan. And I mean, like, I just felt like a teenager in my room, like, again, like listening to this music. And I was trying to make questions for today. And I was like, I honestly just want to keep telling Grace, like, oh, and this line made me cry. Yep. Like, can't listen oh. to this line without crying still. Uh, really? So, I mean, really? so much. I mean, I, yeah, I loved it so much. And I mean, Jesus from Texas was (laughs) emotional for me, but I also am interested, like, obviously TikTok can be like really weird and horrible, (laughs) Um, but I'm interested in, like, you're really good at TikTok and you connect with like a lot of young queer Christians on TikTok. And I was wondering if you could talk more about that aspect of it. Like, um, if that was, it just came up organically or... It's like, oh, man, I mean, that's I, part of your strategy. I, don't know. <laughs> I certainly don't know what I'm doing. I can tell you that there's no strategy. Um, I think so. Lizzie downloaded and created a TikTok account for us because at, when the pandemic started, all of my jobs, like in internet hosting, just stopped. 
for many people, that was the case in working in entertainment, specifically working on camera. Unless you're like a movie star, like companies and digital networks, they're not making exceptions for you if you weren't like on salary. So it was like a difficult thing to just feel like I had all this momentum and I was doing this certain thing. And then honestly, overnight, it was like, no, you're not. You're not doing that thing. And so, and then so I think Lizzie, my sweet, sweet wife, downloaded TikTok because I was a little bit listless and just like, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to apply for because like, I don't know jobs are happening. And like, what I do is travel and interview strangers. And that's like the last thing that anyone wants a person to do during a pandemic. So she downloaded TikTok and she was like, you can make videos on this app and like, just see how you feel about it. And I started scrolling and it just really resonated with me. I think the authenticity of TikTok for some reason, like Instagram is very curated. TikTok, I really resonated with how vulnerable people were willing to be of just like showing their face and being like, this is my story and getting creative with it and making silly videos or whatever. And I I thought it was like a dancing app. And I was like, there's no space for me on a dancing app. Nobody wants to see me dance. But seeing other people just like put themselves out there, I was like, oh, I, I, this kind of inspired me. I was like, oh, I can, I can do something with this medium in a way that feels true to me. Like, I'm not trying to be like a, Hello, youths. Like, hello, kids. Um, I can just be myself and see if, you know, I, I kind of wanted to like put something out there and see if it's stuck with anyone else. And the one thing about TikTok that I tell people, specifically if they're like of my age, so I'm a millennial, um, if they're trying to get on TikTok, is like just accept that it's a wild west. So make stuff that you think is cool, use relevant hashtags if you want. And then just know that like the most random thing will get like 300,000 views or something like that. And then something that I spent... I I spent a whole day on this one video for Desert Hearts because Lizzie and I went as Desert Hearts for Halloween. And it, you know, a a few people saw it, but not that many people. And I was like, (laughs) spent like 11 hours on this. I ordered like a costume. (laughs) Like all this stuff and it didn't matter. So as soon as you just... I think with the TikTok, as soon as you just sort of like let yourself go, just don't overthink it. Be yourself. Use relevant hashtags to find your people. I think that's important. I've never been on the wrong side of TikTok and I'm not trying to be. So I like never, I never dabble. I never like dip my toe in there. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's kind of the 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 only strategy is like, do I feel like making this video today for a sound reason like oh yeah it's willie's birthday i want to make a video for him is that gonna do well i don't know i don't care like willie's a cute dog i hope people like him <laughs> it's his birthday he deserves a video like that's that's kind of the end of my thought process i know isaac has a question but just shout out to desert hearts what a great movie uh so I, good nobody's I name checked that movie on the pod yet. yes great yeah. I, I'm feeling I'm feeling relevant now because I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that the young the youngins on on the podcast don't know that movie, but go check it out. It's awesome. Anyway, Isaac, you, yes, I know you have a question. I would just say I put off watching it. <laughs> Former lesbian. Oh, I have okay, seen yeah, it. yeah. Sorry, I was I was more directing that. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry, um, sorry. Jeez, well, I that's like the typical white because... dude right there. I just I just nailed it. Sorry about that, CJ. <laughs> I I put off watching it because I had assumed that um it was gonna be violent because like any movie with queer people like a certain time and honestly still currently I'm always like hey does this have a violent end (laughs) and 
I just assumed that because it was an older movie that it would just gonna make me sad and whatever. And there was candidly going to be a hate crime. And when I don't want to spoil anything, but when that doesn't happen at all, Lizzie and I were just like sobbing, being like, "What? This movie has an ending that isn't sad." Um, and that was huge, which is sad, but also good, I guess. For if you want to watch Desert Hearts, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Go ahead, I feel like it's the way with. Uh... You're right, Brian. I haven't, I haven't seen that movie. That was um, more my point was just to call out Isaac, and, and CJ was just a drive by. Sorry about that, CJ, but uh, it was more to call out Isaac. <laughs> Go ahead. Unintended casualty. Yes. Yeah. Well, Grace, I wanted to ask. So you know, you talked about reaching number one on the Christian charts and some of the work you had been doing with CCM artists before that in the documentary and things like that. What was the feedback or the response to you making number one from sort of the establishment Christian music world? It depends. So if an artist or a person in the industry was already outwardly affirming, then incredibly supportive. Like there are people whose music I listened to growing up or um, just, just people who were writing in the space or speaking in that space that were really supportive, like sharing it on their stories or whatever. And I'm so grateful for that. That was really cool. Very humbling. The other side of the coin... Well, there's, there's sort of two other sides of the coin, which doesn't make sense with that metaphor, but go with me. So um, there, were pe- there are people who are private... I don't think this exists, but for that are privately affirming mm-hmm. that reached out to me privately that said something to the effect of like, I want you to know that I support you. Or they'd go through another person, which is kind of even weirder, where they'd like someone else would be like, so-and-so told me that they like your music and they want to encourage you, but they can't go on record to do that. And they don't even want like a paper trail of a DM. So so that, that I think I have very complicated feelings about because... You know, that's what really fuels me of like, well, how how big, how big of a song or a record do I need to put out? And I will do it for you to make an evaluative decision that being affirming is the right stance. That that you can make that decision. Cause it because right now it's a money thing. And I understand that they have kids that they need to feed, right? And they have payments that they need to do. And if they come out as affirming, those tours dry up. That's that's what what will happen, but I'm hoping that if enough people can just do the right thing, I mean it's it's hard. I, I get frustrated sometimes, but I want to be like respectful, and uh, I don't want to come across as combative because unfortunately that is the undue pressure on a person like myself. So like I, I want to respect your journey, but I also like want you to get here. And so I'm like, how big do I need to be? How big do we need to get this for you to do the right thing? And then the other side of the coin in this awful metaphor is a lot of players ignored it and they still are, but they're doing things behind the scenes that let me know that that they know that I'm there. So for example, after Preacher's Kid went number one, something happened um, with CCM and iTunes where they were like, if a song or a record has explicit lyrics, it can no longer even chart in CCM. So I released a single called Thank God for That and Toby Mac, both of which have swear words in them. And while uh, Preacher's Kid was able to chart with explicit lyrics, um, Thank God for That and uh, Toby Mac did not chart at all. And the reason why I know that they actually did chart, like the numbers did 
were there is because Kevin Garcia, a friend of mine, on this like single release uh, offered a blessing and it was a beautiful blessing. And they didn't swear at all in this blessing. And they reached like the top 20 with just the blessing. And that's like a one minute offering. So if they were in like the 20s to 30s, you're you're kidding me that the singles off that release didn't chart at all. So an adjustment was made, but no one told me about it. And they're just like, they just ignore it. They They pretend like nothing's happening. So again, it's just motivation for me. And the next song that I'm putting out, which I recorded in a proper studio with my friend, and I'm so excited. Like this song goes crazy. I don't want to <laughs> overhype it. I'm nervous about doing that. It's been really hard not to leak my own music, but this is the like people have only heard me on my USB mic in this office. And I feel like this song, first of all, there's no swearing in it, so they can't block it for that. It's called Hallelujah, which I haven't said before, so this is an exclusive. Mm-hmm. And um, it goes fucking crazy. And I just can't wait to see, like, how are you going to adjust to that? Like, I don't... How are you going to... The only reason why you're going to hate it is because it's a queer person talking about queerness and divinity. But I'm not swearing. So, like, what's your damage? You may not know this before you came on, Grace, but sort of the unofficial tagline of... Or at least, like, the... Uh, thesis statement of this pod is to expose all takes because we live in an apocalyptic age. So if you're ready to, you know, if you get other DMs from folks who don't want to be affirming and you want to expose them, please come back to the pod to do it. <laughs> oh my oh gosh. gosh. <laughs> if I ever wanted to, which I don't think I do right now, but like I, the, the rants that I have with Lizzie, it's frustrating my friends like it's so frustrating because people will like like things about me and they'll do things to come across as like cool like oh i'm cool so, like that they think like no no grace should know like i'm cool like if someone ever puts up something for a grammy like i'll be cool like as time goes on and like one out of six members of gen z are queer like then you know then i'll i'll be one of the good ones and it's like shut it's so frustrating it has- it has been fascinating to watch people respond. Like I think Toby Mac actually responded yep. to you. And uh, was it Kevin Max, one of the DC Talk guys? Kevin Max has been incredibly supportive. So he is has been affirming. I don't know how long he's been affirming, but I know that... Um, do you, Were you around when I was doing um, the queer Christian cover band thing on TikTok? Do you remember that? So I do these like queer like covers, rudimentary covers of CCM songs. And I did a DC Talk song. And I did Jesus Freak. And I, I actually really liked that that cover. And I remember like tweeting it out and Kevin Max shared it, like commented on it. And then he DM'd me. And his DM and his our communication since have been so encouraging. And I also really appreciate his vulnerability to be like, listen, I I'm not gonna get this right all the time. And like I'm really trying. And I was conditioned in a genre, in an environment that like it, I'm breaking out of right now and I'm doing my best. How can I support you? Like, what can I be doing? Um, so Kevin Max has been awesome. Toby Mac um, has, he did respond to this, to my song about him, the first verse. I really would love for him to respond to the latter half of the song, but I don't know if he's heard that part yet. And it was a very like canned PR response. To be, it's like we, you've you've heard it before, where 
he was like, you are loved. <laughs> and it's like, by, I know that. I know I'm loved. Yeah. It's, it's not the question. I have a good As someone Toby on the Mac outside, story like, point. obviously, I'm not getting the DMs. Uh, it's been fascinating to see which people are, like, very clearly, like, oh, we love you, but we're not, we're not quite yeah. going to say that God loves you, but don't worry, you are loved. <laughs> you are loved. Yeah, that's, the, I think that, like, the, the way that just sort of uh, the goalpost moves with, like, that very, like, megachurchy, Instagrammable Christian words and phrases it's because it'll be like you belong here all are welcome like you are welcome like welcome home and then like you are loved is a new one and it's just so it's such a vague platitude when people are like we're just looking for a yes or a no and 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 listen like if the answer is no i do not affirm you i would way rather you dignify me with that honesty i would way rather that then basically now I'm like, all right, Toby, Toby, I'm not stopping putting out music, my friend. Like, I don't know what you think is, is going to happen here. There are some specific things I would love for you to address. And I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm not stopping this conversation, you know? So like, I think that the pressure is only going to mount and people just want to know what you believe. And you and you've opened yourself up to that because you've built a career on your belief. That's what it is. And so, like, it, it's not as though we're going after answers for like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like like any mainstream artist. I don't like hound them. We're like, what do you believe? Like, where do we go when we die? Like, I don't care. But <laughs> Christian artists have like put themselves in that position of like, this is what I believe. This is who I stand for. And I'm like, cool. Can you clarify a little bit? Because I'm open to doing that. People can ask me about what I believe and I'll be really open to that. Why aren't you? What are you hiding? You know, I can uh, imagine a great skit for your next album where it's just like um, CCM artists and megachurch pastors take similar to coffee to tell them that they're not affirming. <laughs> no. Isaac. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've actually never been asked to coffee before. I think I am not sure like how I feel about that because it's such a trope. I'm, I like almost feel like bummed that I never had just, to, I mean, honestly, just to sit face to face with someone in that capacity. But I've also interviewed people in my line of work in a similar way. Actually, you know, what? I did get, I literally did get coffee with Jackie Hill Perry, but we did talk about this specifically. So that doesn't really count. It was for when we were taping the show, we like met at a, uh, cafe. And so we both ended up getting coffee, but we were talking about like, we were, we hadn't even started like filming yet, really. Like it was just the establishing shots. So it was just her and I being like, Hey, hey, woo. <laughs> was, I was yeah. kind of hoping that when you said Kevin Max like slid into your DMs to talk about stuff, he was going to say, Thanks for not covering colored people. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh We're going to talk about a song that is, was never like right, but certainly has not aged well. Like it's hilarious to to go back and reminisce about that song. There's a there's a lot of uh, CCM, like a CCM cringe compilation would be hours long of things that like the industry and the genre were like, this is great, and you're even, you're a kid, and I remember even listening to that song and being like. 
not this one. Like something about it. I was like, this is, I don't know about that. I don't know about it. And I was like, I was like 10 and I'm just like, I don't know about this one. This one's not making it on my, my bird CD of DC talk. It's nice. You know, did they still like form that? I don't know. Probably not. I gotta say no. Right. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But there was a DC talk cruise. They like went on a cruise like not that long ago. There, there was. It sounds like um, you know, good for them, but like that sounds like kind of my nightmare of like being <laughs> on a cruise of only like one band doing only their songs with only other super fans. Like that seems just like a lot, right? I, it's not something I ever want to experience, but I'm not a cruise person, so I guess I can't speak yeah, to that. That's a, yeah, I'm just like trapped, being trapped at sea, and then being like, but also like with DC Talk, DC Talk. But don't worry, DC Talk is here. I'd be like, I don't know if that's better. This is not really a follow up, but does anyone have eyes on Matt Thiessen from Reliant K? Is he affirming? Do we know um, that? Yeah, so he he's been uh, a curious figure. I've been interested to learn more about um and would love to get some clarity from him i think that from what i understand because i've been in touch with members of reliant k who are affirming um but the main but reliant k at its core is like matt Thiessen and matt hoops are the two like main like if reliant k goes on tour it's like with those two guys so I've been very curious about whether or not they're affirming and other members of Reliant K have been like, I'm affirming like even their guitarist even like hopped on our cover of the, of a be my escape and like sent over a guitar part for me to add into the TikTok, which was super cool. Wow. Yeah. So some of them have been really cool, but as far as Matt Thiessen, from what I understand, what other people have told me, he's pretty private and we're not really sure I think the thing that I would say to him is that Reliant K had such a crossover appeal and they were kind of one of the few bands if you were like a preacher's kid or like a Christian, like grew up really Christian, like they were one of the few bands that you were not the very embarrassed to admit that you only had access to. So part of me wonders if he like doesn't know how powerful it would be to come out as affirming is how many people like, I, I just feel like Reliant K had actually a lot more sort of uh, foundational significance to queer Christians than he might even know. And I don't really know if they're touring right now or like what the deal is, but I would, I hope that they are affirming and I hope that I don't want to butt into his privacy because I totally respect that. But if he were to ever hop online, if there was a tour coming out, I would love to see him just take a um, proactive approach to being affirming if he is. Because I, I think I think he is, but I also hate doing that. I'm like, I think you are. <laughs> like I hate doing the guess, like the guessing game, and then they're kind of feeling like I'm just taking a ride and being like a can kicked down the road for someone. Yeah, clarity is reasonable. Also, Reliant K was my first concert, seventh grade at Six Flags Over <laughs> Texas. Well, it was, was it fun. It was in October at Six Flags Over Texas, so it was kind of cold. Uh, but yeah, it was. I mean, super fun. I got to ride roller coasters, and then I got to hear Reliant K play Sadie Hawkins dance. Wait, that sounds so fun. Yeah, it was great. I went with my youth group. <laughs> Man, my youth group never. We never went to a theme park. 
Like we never did cool shit like that. We did go to a bar though once. Which, <laughs> so that's that was cool, I guess. Because the drinking age in Belgium is six, is sixteen, or at least it was at the time. So our youth minister was like, "All right, these high schoolers are getting kind of crazy. Like, let's meet up at a bar." And I think I don't think we did that again because I think it was like a bad idea. <laughs> I, think all, I don't think we talked about the scripture or anything, but good for her for trying. You know, thinking outside of the box. Brian, you had a question. Well, I, you know, the the whole thing about Reliant K, and I would throw like Switchfoot in there too, and whether John Foreman yeah. is affirming as a person, I would hope would be, you know, when I when I first heard when I just saw the title of Toby Mac uh, for your song, I was like, oh man, I was like, what is this going to be? Is this going to be like a dunk fest? Because I, I, what I loved about Preacher's Kid was that it was so it was it, it was authentic in a way that most I wanted Christian music to always be, but it never was like honest. Um, and so when I heard Toby Mac, I was like, oh, this is. Yeah, this is it. Like, this is kind of like what I want Christian music to be. What I wanted it to be, and, and while I still listen to stuff like uh, like uh, Reliant K, sometimes you know, it's like I just have to like tune up my mind when I know they're talking about something different than what I want them to be talking about. The authentic authenticity, right? Like, I think that there is a, I, I in like in the books that I write, like I kind of like vaguely try to like balance on the side of like secular, so-called secular, and like religious things. And I feel like the the authenticity vulnerable part is actually the kind of, it can be like super dangerous um, sometimes because people can either misread it or whatever. But it's also the thing that like when my, you know, 17-year-old, you know, queer daughter first heard your stuff, she's like, what is this? And so, you know, I I guess, how do you guys, is this, is it's just stuff like when you're trying to guys get into that place, how do you balance that? Like the idea of like trying to say something like, the Toby Mac song while also being autobiographical while also kind of being, you know, universal in, in, in reach because the Toby Mac, that, that song like kills me. Like if we're going to talk about <laughs> tears, like I, th- there's, there's some lines in that one where it's just like sitting in my, in my, in a parking lot of a, of a grocery store crying, <laughs> listening to your, to your thing. And it's like, oh, this is not a good look for me. But I think like that there's something universal about that song. And I'm just, I'm just interested here, I guess, how you kind of get there uh, in your, in your songwriting process. Yeah, I mean, Toby Mac specifically is an interesting song because something that I realized is that if you grow up listening to CCM, these artists, they have an elevated presence in your life. They're presented to you in a way that is different than, I think, uh, a lot of like mainstream pop or rock acts exist in the lives of another teenager, right? Because it's not just that they're singing and performing music that you like, it's that they're also being presented to you by persons in power as this this unattainable sort of lifestyle and relationship to God, but yet they're achieving it seemingly, like that's how it's presented to you. So they become very aspirational. They have this like very elevated presence in your life, significance. and the Toby Mac song is just like me wrestling with these people who are presented to me as like more than celebrities as like conduits to God as ways of like achieving your dreams as a performer, but also like being godly, whatever that means. Um, And recognizing that like, it sucks that these people have such a, have such a sort of like weighted, presence in the lives of so many and yet they 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 just don't speak up you know for on issues that matter because the base is 
um, because it, because it's not financially viable for them. I think you know what I mean. So they're they're like weighing. Okay, if I speak about racial justice, if I speak about LGBTQ plus issues, then like I'm going to isolate my base and I'm going to lose money. So I don't want to do that. Um, but what I can do is like I'll speak vaguely about like diversity and I'll speak about like love and inclusion and that Toby Mac song is me like processing that frustration, like allowing me to be like, I'm, I'm annoyed with these people that I looked up to so much that you're told are beacons of what it means to be Christ-like. And yet they, they are valuing money over doing the right thing. And so in writing that song, I think like, it felt so cathartic to like name it, to be specific. And something I learned from, so when I wrote Jesus from Texas, the the last verse of that song, Lizzie and I were getting back from a dog walk and I was going through this thing with my friend, which will probably be like for the rest of my life, unfortunately. And um, I like stopped and I looked at her and I was just like, my best friend found God. So we lost touch. I guess the savior beats a friend who thinks you're good enough. And I like said it to her and Lizzie was like, Oh, she like laughed. She's like, that's good. She's like, but she's going to know it's about her. And I was like, yeah, but I think I'm ready to do it. Like, I think I'm ready to be that specific. And so I think doing like ripping off the bandaid with Jesus from Texas, writing that in like at the end of November is when I finished writing that song, opened me up to be that specific in songs like Toby Mac of like, if you have a pain, name it, because that's the only way that you heal from something. I think is being specific and acknowledging the harm. You can't heal from something if I'm speaking in platitudes. So here's the deal. I'm annoyed with people like Toby Mac who have risen to power in Christian music who will not take a stand or be honest about what they believe and what they think is right, but they're still standing on a platform that says just the opposite. It's fucked up. And I'm and then I'm called out for swearing. You know what I mean? Like, what what is going on here? It's fucked up. John Foreman is going to like a tweet about a song that I mentioned him in, but he's not going to like the song. Why, dude? What? What are you worried about? Just And be honest about it. I, I root for these people. I root for these people to do the right thing because I believed in them so much growing up. And maybe that's not fair that they were elevated to that status. I'm sure that they never wanted to be seen as like these these spiritual gurus, right? They just wanted to make music and they were Christians, right? But like, we're at a point now where it's not okay. It's not, it's never been okay. But I don't know that there, that there has been sort of the freedom within the genre to upload something on DistroKid yourself. You don't need to go through a Christian label and we can find each other on TikTok and on Instagram and on Twitter. And we're gonna gather and find community. We're gonna call your asses out and hold you accountable. Because just because you're in a Christian genre doesn't mean that you get to act beyond reproach. Like we should be able to talk about these things. So I think that writing Jesus from Texas opened me up to being that specific in my songwriting that, uh, that, that it would be okay, that I can be really very literal and that people would understand it. And that's, that's what it is. You know, it's a kind of the anti-worship song. Like they're like big <laughs> metaphors and whatever. And I'm just like Amy Grant reliant like that's what that's what we're talking about we're talking about money in christian music that's what the song's about there's no water metaphor in here 
and you I, know, I, shout I, out to shout out to Shane Claiborne for his uh, his uh, clear uh, clear. Oh no, never mind. Wait, I forgot. He he hasn't done it yet. Uh, I, I, sorry, that's probably not okay. a good joke after that wonderful. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the thing that also that it made while you were talking that it made me that's so frustrating about it is you can listen to a song about I'm thinking of like the David Crowder song band song like Holy Yours, right? And it's like. You just like you, you're saying, like it basically just cheapens all all theology, and I think it becomes a product for a lot of kids where you know they just immediately like, well, if this isn't it, I'm just done, and so it, it kind of like closes a door for them uh, immediately. It did for my daughter for a long time. She's like, this is just bullshit. I don't want to be a part of this. So anyway, I I really I I needed to to say something other than just my Shane Claiborne joke. Go ahead, I cut you off, Isaac. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say that um, the what the Toby Mac song reminds me of is like. Like you were almost trying to queer Taylor Swift's song Tim McGraw. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that someone commented on a, I think it was like the video that I posted before the song came out um, of like 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 lip syncing to the song. Someone commented, "When you hear Toby Mac, I hope you think of me." And I was yeah. like, "Yes, yes, yeah. yes, I do." <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting though because I I love what you said about the way that these contemporary Christian artists are sort of held up as conduits for access to the divine. I mean, certainly uh, in contemporary music, like it's not really, you know, in contemporary worship services, it's not really about the sermon. It's not really about anything else. It's about like where the, wherever the music takes you. And, and it kind of gives you this veneer of being something really personal because, you know, Oh, this is a song written by, X, Y, or Z, Lauren Daigle or somebody, and you think, wow, this is how they see God. And, and because the language is so first person, you think you're like entering into that shared experience. But I think yours, your album Preacher's Kid, it, it really challenges all that, mainly because it doesn't sound like CCM music. But I wonder if you, you know, you talked about Toby Mac almost as like an anti-worship song. I, I wonder if you'd say more about how some of your goals and some of this informs like the aesthetic of the music that you're playing. Cause I dipped out on CCM a long time ago. So like, and just went straight into Sufjan. So I don't know like <laughs> where things stand now sort of aesthetically, but when I listened to Preacher's Kid, I thought this doesn't, this doesn't sound like a lot of stuff that, you know, I mean, it certainly doesn't sound like Reliant K. So um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear you talk about that. Yeah. I think, um, Christian music as a genre, it's really interesting to like follow the trajectory. So the the contemporary CCM music that we think of kind of kicked off in the 70s. Now, obviously, there's like black gospel music well before then. There's a rich tradition of that as well. But like the uh, Larry Norman, um, like hippie type of like Jesus music, as it was called, was like in the 1970s and 80s and for a while from like the 80s to the 2000s christian music ccm was always about being an alternative to something in the mainstream market mm -hmm. so like if uh you remember when like britney spears and christina aguilera were having their huge moment like these pop queens then ccm would be like well here's rachel lampa and here's stacy orico or jackie velasquez or you know they would they would always have a christian alternative or rebecca st james so that i mean they were literal sheeps sorry, sheets, where you could be like, if your kid's listening to this, 
get them this. If your kid's listening to this, get them this. So like if your kid likes Limp Biscuit, get them P.O.D. And they'd have alternatives to that. And oh, yeah. eventually... Shout out P.O.D. Shout out. <laughs> oh man, I have stories about that band because I love new metal. <laughs> I love new metal. And my dad was like, P.O.D., you will like P.O.D. Um, <laughs> man, they also let me down too because I remember tuning into a... Uh, sorry, Tangential... They had this conference um, called the Whosoever's Conference because of the, the Bible verse, like whosoever comes to me will not perish, but have eternal life. And uh, I love that. I was like, oh, whosoever. So whosoever a gay shall come, you'll be well and accepted. And what they meant is like, um, no, you can be like a skater. And uh, as long as you're straight, that's literally what it was. Like, so I tuned into this conference. This is I, like, for the oh, all kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, whosoever, like, sags their pants or like <laughs> like where's like literally it was like skaters um and anyway so i tuned into this this conference that pod was part of the hosting for and one of the seminars that they had was like a whole like anti-gay test like well no no it was an ex-gay testimony thing so they had like mm-hmm. a bunch of like ex-gays come through and like give their testimony and i was like sitting there in my, in my room i was like I can't remember how old I was, probably 16 or 17, just being like, okay, I hate it here. <laughs> like watching the video. I'm like, why does this feel sad? Um, and yeah, but they were like, but it's okay. Like you can, I don't know, like dye your hair and God still loves you whosoever, but don't be gay. Anyway, so I think that, uh, so CCM was doing that for a while, but then as streaming took hold, I think that uh, it, like basically kids could just get access to the, the music that they wanted. You know, they didn't have, their parents weren't the suppliers of music anymore, buying them the CDs. Kids could just be like, I want to listen to Slipknot and I want to listen to Slipknot and I'm going to listen to Slipknot. Like you can get me a CD, but that's not going to change what I listen to. So CCM started pivoting um, into worship music. And so now people a main criticism that I received of Preacher's Kid was that this doesn't worship and glorify God, as though that's just the age-old tradition of Christian music. But we know that, let's count the the worship songs on a Reliant K record that was listed in the Christian genre. No, that's kind of a recent phenomenon because of streaming, because they're trying to adapt. Um, But that's not, like, that is not a prerequisite to exist within the genre. And that's just something that, like, I'm not willing to adhere to. Like, I, I don't write your Hillsong type worship music. I'm writing worship. I'm, I'm writing like worship and praise music about my faith and about my doubt and about my queerness. And it's all going to exist within this genre because it can, because like you don't get to make the rules, even though they are like <laughs> they're trying to figure out a way. And so I think that like that, that, that's just something that I feel very liberated from because I don't have a label. So I know that there are like CCM writers rooms where they'll listen to like Oceans by Hillsong and they'll be like, all right, we got to write another Oceans. And they're like, when you are in the grocery store, you hear a Christian song, you don't even need to hear the lyrics to know it's a Christian song because the cadence is all the same and like the patterns are all the same. And um, I, I don't have any of those parameters on what I write. So I get to be totally free. And like the song that's going to be coming out is a great example of that. I think where like, it's not going to sound like a praise and worship song and it does not make it any less divinely inspired. So I think it's just the, it's just a really exciting time for anyone who wants to write and meditate on their faith and their perspective on the divine, because you can do it and you can upload it yourself. And all these boundaries were totally uh, 
kind of imagined and they're not they're not fixed and i actually think that you can bring more people into the the genre if you're interested in that by doing something different you know don't like who's who's ever been like damn I really want to know what's on the cutting edge of Christian music. I really want to hear what sounds they're like working with. But, it, and that sucks because I think that it would be really, it's such a ripe genre to have like a faith genre of people writing music as inspired by how they understand God. Like, I think that's, that'd be such a cool genre if we could actually do that. And yet they, they just seem like they don't want to budge, basically. They're like, no, 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 we're going to write Oceans again. <laughs> Sorry, I, I keep raising my hand like people can see me. Uh, you know, this is like this is, but this is the problem with Christian art. You know, uh, I just did air quotes again, like people can nice. see this. Um, but it, but it is like right, like Christian art became as opposed to um, it, it that. Tra- I love hearing kind of you break that down about how the shift to worship because I think you see it like uh, in books, right, or in in anything movies, especially terrible. But this idea that something can't be, right, can't be holy, can't be divine, can't have some kind of truth, capital T truth in it, unless it is worshipful, quote unquote, right? And so so we've gotten into this weird place now where to me, like the the true like Christian stuff that I like really love, I'm not a huge Sufjan fan. Have I ever mentioned that, Isaac? (laughs) That might be what gets me canceled from our audience. No, you've mentioned it. Okay, good. You've mentioned it. Yeah, not not a huge Sufjan fan, but I I like that, right? And and, and that's what I thought about yours. Like there's, you're, you're, album is that there's something true about this, right? And so since there's something true and something beautiful about it, like that has to come from God. And so like, I I just, I hate the kind of way that, you know, get, and I may be projecting here because I get lots of emails from people talking about how my, uh, my, my books are not Christian. It's like, well, yeah, but they also are at the same time. And so it's like, for me, it's like, I, I just want more people to kind of like you're saying, to expand that idea of what it means to kind of tap into this mystery of, of, of the divine and to create art that reflects that, um, you know, getting back into some of those like those crazy like Catholic writers from the 60s and 50s, 60s and 70s were doing that. And I just think it, it's, it's interesting to, just to think about CCM being the people that are narrowing that so that we don't get that. And that, that narrowing is eventually going to be just going to strangle them out. I would hope because, you know, it's, it's not going to be denied and you're going to find that stuff everywhere. But it, it, the power, I think, and I think why I resonated and as Isaac called me out on chat that I was fanboying here, which is true. But like when I listened to, when I listened to Preacher's Kid, I was like, this is everything that I, I've wanted Christian art to be for the last 30 years. Uh, and it just never, it just never reaches that level. So um, more stuff like this uh, from you, from other people. Uh, it, it's just... Yeah, we just need more openings for kids and, and people to be able to see see God and hear kind of truth um, in ways that aren't just, you know, raise your hands up and talk about how the spirit is flowing and I I sinned today, but God's got my back or whatever it is. Trademark Brian <laughs> Bliss for that next uh, uh, worship song. <laughs> I sinned today, but God's got my back. <laughs> God's got my back. That would publish. I, I'm going to write that today. That's what's going to fund this podcast. I'm going to secretly write really bad um, CCM songs, Isaac and, and CJ, and, and that's how we're going to fund this podcast. Oh, you could probably make a killing. I probably, I'm still living in the mental hell of imagining that I'm stuck at a CCM writer's room. I'm so sorry <laughs> to find out that that exists. Oh my God. Well, so that's it. That was an interesting thing that I learned about during the CCM episode of State of Grace is like uh, someone that we interviewed, just like this incredible performer, um, singer, songwriter, was only allowed to be a songwriter 
because he's openly queer. And so even though he has like this tremendous voice, like that would blow you away and like is so talented, it was just, you know, told to him, like, you know, write, write the songs for sure, but don't sing them. And certainly not publicly, but we need to use your talent in order to like write this music, but you can't, we can't, people can't know that it came from you type thing. And the right, and then there was another guy that we spoke to who had something happen in his personal life that was another, was a source of like people casting judgment on him and like casting him out. And yeah, just like wild to hear about these writer writers rooms where you have you're given like these parameters. Oh, and then this other guy I spoke to who was in this major Christian band, and I asked him like point blank towards the end before like the band sort of like disbanded or whatever, where he was like, We were told like you don't have to write worship music. You do not have to write this worship music, but if you want to sell, you do. Hmm. Which is a fake offer. You know what I mean? <laughs> like where they're like, listen, like you can write whatever you want. You can. It won't... You will have to find another job. But <laughs> like, you can still write whatever you want. And it's like, you've been in this well-known Christian band for years and years. You've paid your dues. And now you have the CCM gatekeepers and executives being like, listen, we're only selling worship music. It's the only market we have. And it's the only market they have because they're not interested in basically building a longer table and including other perspectives because they're, I mean, the the fruit is rotten. Do you think that's a business thing or is it genuinely just like the only space where they think that this sort of music can like sort of find an audience? I think it's a business thing. I think it's, I think it's a business thing because they know their audience um, and they know that their audience is typically like women over the age of from like 25 to 45 that are still listening to Christian worship music. Um, and they, they need that demo. Um, and typically within the, the demo I'm speaking of, it's white women, white evangelical women. And I think that, so it's a business decision. I also think it's a political decision. So they sort of know the political leanings of their audience and they're not trying to challenge that. Now, whether that's biblically based, like they, they, they align with them politically, there's probably a degree of that as well. But I also think that there are just some people who are like, listen, I, I don't align politically with this, but my wallet does, which actually means that you do align. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that's, that's why you can't be privately affirming, you know? Or privately, like you can't be privately pro anything with regards to justice. You can't be private about the causes and the people and communities that you stand for. You know, you because if you're afraid of taking that hit, then you're valuing the oppression. You're siding with that. Well, it's interesting that you know you were talking earlier about hey, artists who are not affirming, like just say so. It's kind of shocking to me that more of them don't because you know, if that's how they feel, they don't just come out and say it because it seems like their supposed base has gotten so intensely radicalized with like making their discrimination as public as possible during the Trump era that it would benefit them from a business decision to just like lean all the way in. I mean, to go like full David Crowder and like tour with Franklin Graham or something. But I mean, so... But I, you know, to me, it gets back to this 
stereotype that I think is out there about CCM artists, the fact that they don't do this is that there's a stereotype that they don't really, you know, maybe they're not really Christian. They're just like, they found a niche where they can make some money and, and they're, mm-hmm. tr- they're trying to get paid, but like they don't actually give a shit about anything that they're writing or singing about. I mean, when you were interviewing folks in that world, is that something you encountered or, or uh, do you think that's a bad? I think it's just so, it's still something I'm trying to figure out, you know, because people are so dodgy about it. Like people, it's just, it's so hard to get straight answers from anybody. I think that my friend said this to me the other day, like if people are evasive about a specific question when it comes to human rights and, and political issues in this country, if they're evasive, it's because they likely know that their answer is wrong. That their mm. that their stance is dehumanizing, and that's that's kind of the the vibe that I get from a lot of CCM artists that don't want to go on the record about certain things, is because I think that they know that not taking a stand that that, that they're they're doing the wrong thing by being evasive, you know that they're by not standing up for justice, that's wrong. And not being specific in what they believe, it's wrong. And so they just want to like kind of uh, just, it feels like they're um, playing dodgeball basically. And like a new, like preacher's kid goes number one, they're like dodging it. And, like people are like tagging them on Twitter. They're like, whoops. And the thing with the Toby <laughs> Mac that was so interesting when he responded to that tweet that Lizzie pointed out. And I truly hope that I'm, I can speak with him one day and that he and I could have a conversation. He has kids that are, younger. And I I think that we will only see a progression in, I hope, in our understanding of Christianity as the years go on. And and I know that like, oftentimes kids can be a huge source of learning for an older generation. I know like with my own parents, you know, like the conversations that like teaching my dad, like cis and trans was one of the funniest and weirdest and amazing conversations I've ever had with him. And he honestly like loved the term cis too much because he like liked having a term for himself. He's like, a cis man. I'm like, that's not <laughs> anything to brag about. But um, <laughs> but uh, so I'm, I'm hopeful that like I could like speak with him one day, but something that Lizzie pointed out when he responded to the tweet. So like he, that video that I put out was if you search Toby Mac for like a 48 hour period, my tweet was the first thing that came out. And he's a major artist on a label. There's no way that those social media managers didn't clock that. They absolutely knew that something was happening. He responded to the tweet in what would have been like 1am Nashville time, something like that, which means that... And I know this from when we did our CCM episode, there was probably a whole phone chain of freakout of like, a gay has tagged us. And the gay has mentioned us. How do we speak to the gay? Like I literally have experienced that firsthand when we did the interview with a Christian music executive. Like I know how this works. And so I think that he responded at 1 a.m. after their PR team was like, we have, you can't not say anything. She's saying that you hate gay people. And like, if you hate gay people, then you might never go on the Ellen show. And that would be great for sales, weirdly (laughs) enough. And, um... So I think that he responded at like 1 a.m. to like after it was decided that saying you are loved was a good response. And I responded to him being like, thank you for responding because that's that's big. <laughs> that's kind of big for him. And uh, also, if you ever want to keep it going, I think a lot of people would care about what you have to say and what you believe. So, yeah, 
and pride month is coming up in june and uh i do have some things planned for for that so i hope you know we'll see <laughs> like, yeah, and yeah, like no warning. not like that I just mean, like, <laughs> if they thought like i think that i think that if they if basically if people think in ccm that there's like a flash in the pan thing that's happening like I'm more inspired than ever. I'm more motivated and focused than ever and excited about finding this community. So it's not like, you know, thank you for that response, but like, we're just getting started. I truly believe that. And I'm heartened by that. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I was thinking about your point, Isaac, or your idea that what, like, why don't they, why don't CCM artists just like come out and be like, no, I'm not affirming because... (laughs) the gays are going to hell. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like, I think part of it's a business decision, but I also think there's just been like, Af- like concept creep. Like I've seen a lot of like clearly non-affirming people use affirmation language recently about like, obviously we affirm that you can be gay. You can just like never act on that ever. <laughs> or you can, you can never get married or kiss a girl or anything. And uh, definitely don't be trans. That's definitely weird. Like, I don't know, James K. Smith did this the other day where I was like, you work at Calvin College and you're definitely not going to change their student code of conduct to where like homosexuality is affirmed. So I don't know why you're acting like this. Dude looks like Mr. Thomas, by the way. (laughs) But I just, I mean, I just think that especially in contemporary Christian music, like Grace, I think everything you're saying like points to, I mean, like they, a ton of these uh, huge churches have celebrity ties right like you did a tiktok responding to Haley bieber who was like everyone's welcome at our church and you were like that is not the truth they're literally not they're not (laughs) but like it's so much easier to have like the fred phelps of the world like the westboro baptist church who are like picketing gay people's funerals like it's so much easier to stand in opposition to that and like be a little unclear so that people don't just lump you in with it that i just i do think it's i mean i think it's just a straight up business decision i actually think that their business would be hurt if they came out and were straight up non-affirming now that yeah especially for um i think especially for like like a a hill song or like a bethel or like you know those, those music artists that are often shared on uh celebrity stories of like oh like listening to this song today and just like meditating with my coffee and my beautiful home in malibu because you'll see a lot of celebrities do that that are like sort of uh, casually Christian that will like share, like Lauren Daigle's record was huge within the celebrity community. That's how I heard about it was like Selena Gomez was tweeting or was talking about it on Instagram about how much the record meant to her. And I, I think that's incredible for Selena Gomez. But I also wonder if Lauren Daigle was more, like if she was like, I openly do not affirm queer people, that would be a harder PR move for Selena Gomez to post, right? Like that would be a more, that's a difficult path. Um, And so I I agree with you, CJ, that like, I think the, it's, it's just like, it's this weird thing that like Christian music sort of does covet of like proximity to celebrity because it will grow there. And like having like figures like Justin Bieber make like Christianity cool is important for them to grow and you know what's not cool being anti-gay <laughs> like it's it's just not gonna scale it's not cool because it's not right and i think that they are going to struggle with that and i think that we are on the cusp of like that accountability 
And it's interesting that you brought up that Haley Bieber, Miley Cyrus video, because like that, when I saw that, like that made me so, it made me so mad. And Lizzie was like, you need to like, think about this for like a week because I, I, it was during quarantine when I, when I saw that and Miley Cyrus had this, like, at, you know, at the beginning of quarantine, she had like a, a daily Instagram live show. A lot of celebrities did things to like entertain us during the first months of the lockdown. And I remember just like seeing that clip of like Haley Bieber be, to Miley Cyrus, who's openly queer being like, yeah, my church is like, everyone's welcome, like no matter who you love. And I was like, don't do that because what's going to happen is that like, Miley, Miley is always going to be like affirmed and loved and accepted. She's going to be an exception at your church. However, a queer kid from her audience might start going and attending church home lectures or groups or whatever. And that person is going to be gaslit the house down. Like, don't do that. That's just so irresponsible. And I don't think that Haley knows that. I don't think that Justin knows that. And it's another thing of like, how big does this need to get before we can hold celebrities accountable um, in the same way that like Chris Pratt has been held accountable, you know, for going to Hillsong. The, the, any celebrity that endorses church home, it should be the same deal, you know, and then you can make an evaluative decision. And I would hope that they would choose a different church to go to. And there are a lot of great affirming churches with like robust online offerings. You don't need like, you don't. it's like cool. You don't need to go to a homophobic church to go to a cool church, you know? Pre-pandemic, Justin Bieber was uh, planning to bring that church home thing to Knoxville, start his own mega church here. <laughs> I don't know if COVID changed that, but... I actually did. I, had, I was looking through screenshots on my phone the other day and I had screenshotted a headline where he was like, I guess Justin Bieber was like, I'm going to become a pastor at Hillsong and reform Hillsong after the Carl Lentz situation. I don't know what came of that either. Justin Bieber... Come on the pod. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll get Justin Bieber to go to seminary. <laughs> but I, I also do think, uh, I mean, part, I think part of the, uh, the, the unclarity, the unclarity, lack I don't, of clarity. lack of clarity. Lack of clarity. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, I have two English degrees, but <laughs> part of the lack of clarity in Christian music and also just like my own personal experiences as a, queer person growing up in church has made it really hard to listen to like Hillsong. Like I have panic attacks if I listen to Hillsong just because of my own personal experiences. But so that was actually really, it was really great to hear Preacher's Kid that is so like both kind of aesthetically different, but also lyrically specific about God, but about your experiences as a queer person in church. Uh, because I was like, oh, I can I can finally listen to something that makes me feel like I am worshiping God and also makes me feel like I'm worshiping God in the fullness of who I am. I'm going to cry yeah. a little bit. <laughs> I mean, like the line, my best friend found God, so we lost touch, is actually very true to what happened with my best friend from college, who I was her maid of honor, and I'm no longer a maid, <laughs> but she is still married and having a baby, and we don't talk anymore. And like listening to the songs that I worship to in college is like no longer possible for me. Anyway, I don't really have a question at the end of this. I was just, I think that it, Preacher's Kid was, was such a game changer because it, it, like it, it, it was so obviously Christian, but also aesthetically different so that I didn't, I didn't have to worry about having a panic attack or like think it, like suddenly I'm in a Hillsong state of mind when I hate yeah. being in a Hillsong state of mind. It's not a great state of mind. That's so interesting about your friend because um, the the friend that I wrote that about, she was going to be like the maid of honor at my wedding. So oh. 
yeah, so it was like my oldest friend. Like I don't have memories before knowing her and very much like how I explained it. She was like a family member. Like she would live, she lived with us when her parents were like going through something and she did like, she found God. And I remember when she told me that years before this all went down and being like, and she was like, I just want to let you know. And now looking back, it's all like, oh, I know why you were letting me know. But at the time I was like, oh, that's, you know, I think that's amazing. You found God. Like, like that's, I'm so happy for you. If a friend of mine comes to me and is like, I've made this really positive change in my life, whatever it is, like, I'm happy for them. And I didn't think at the time what it would lead to. I didn't know. I didn't ask about what kind of church she was going to. I didn't ask the the reasons why I should have, like, there's so many times I like look back on conversations where she'd said like a little thing that now, of course, I'm like, that's a dog whistle. That's a dog whistle. Like I like to see what was happening, but it's a morning, you know, it's sad. It's really hard. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that and that you're going through that with your friend because like, it's brutal. I was, I've been, I'm still sad about it. It's like a hard, it's hard to explain. Friend breakups are really hard and uniquely hard and sad than romantic breakups because the cool thing about friendship, when you find like a true friend, it's just someone who's like, I just fucking love you. <laughs> like, I've got no agenda. Like, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not interested in like sex or money or I just want to be your friend. <laughs> like, I just love what you're doing. <laughs> and um, I love your vibe, man. I love your vibe, you know? And uh, I, and so when some, so when that ends, when someone's like, I don't, it's so hard because it's like, what did I do? What? You don't want to be my friend? And, it, you know, it's just, that's the thing I struggle with a lot. And I talked to Lizzie about is like, my friend also just had a kid, the same friend. And it's so weird. It's just like, don't you miss me? Like, that's the weirdest thing. And then it feels selfish to be like, who wouldn't miss me? <laughs> like, I'm a great friend, but it's just so hard. So I just, I, I, I wish I could just give you a big hug because I've fucking been there and it's, and it's hard to go through. And I don't know when it gets easier, to be honest, but I, I'm sure we'll figure it out. Well, I think a lot of the dynamics that Grace has told us about in CCM, basically about, you know, the choices that artists make about being affirming or not publicly or whatever, those exact same things uh, are happening in congregations all over the country and the stakes are exactly the same about who you want your people to be. Uh, and I think one thing we've always tried to emphasize for pastors or for anybody who listens to this pod that is facing a choice about justice in their context is that when you choose to, like the path of least resistance or try to like thread some bullshit needle, like you are choosing the people who are not affirming the people, you know, mm. you're choosing the all lives matter folks or the blue lives matter folks. Like, and the, the messed up thing about it is for people who want to be affirming publicly, but won't, those people will abandon you. Like whether it's this day or another day, they will walk out on your ass. So every, you know, every UMC pastor out there who's like, well, I'll, you know, I'm privately affirming, but I, I don't want to, like ruin my congregation, they're all about to walk out the door next year. Like everybody that you're afraid of putting off, they've already left. So mm -hmm. now the question is, will you also 
hurt a bunch of vulnerable people by continuing to be silent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, literally, Isaac. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's just, it's the same old shit. You know, CJ, when you said that whole the artists were trying to be affirming, but still not inclusive. Like I, I feel like the UMC and other mainline churches kind of brought that into uh, that. May be our like biggest cultural export of the last forty years. You know, we mm-hmm. we believe that all LGBT people are of sacred worth, but don't fuck. Oh, <laughs> I've forgotten the phrase "sacred worth." Wow, <laughs> shot me back like five years. <laughs> I, Lizzie, and I had like a major. Man, I've like you, well, CJ. You know Lizzie because of like through, I, I guess through like Instagram and stuff. But like, there's so many things that I've learned from her, and one of them was about sacred worth because I am sometimes like a golden retriever in life, where someone will be like, are "You are a person of sacred worth," or whatever, and and I'll be like, "Yes, I love it." And then Lizzie will be like, "I hate that." <laughs> like she'll be like, and, and then I'll be like, "Oh, like what do you mean?" Like, and it's basically the you know you are different like your worth is i don't know like i i'm sure someone else could explain it better but like that i remember that sacred worth conversation because i heard it at the time and i was like wow this is great i love it progress and lizzie's like no 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 this is not this is not it we don't love this i mean it gets back to clarity like there's there's like a set of words that mean one thing in the church that means something totally different outside the church where it's like outside the church, it's like, you're a person of sacred worth. And it's like, hell yeah. Thank you, Marianne Williamson. But like you get inside the church and it's, you're a person of sacred worth means, but we're not going to let you get married. And maybe uh-huh. we won't let you work with children because we think you're a pedophile. Like who knows? Yeah. But we love you. We love you. We love you. And that's, and that's what's so annoying is like when people say that, um, what, I, what, what I've been trying to like explain is like, you can't tell someone that you're doing something out of love to justify the harm that you're doing to them as like a catch-all, as like a, no, 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 like I did it out of love. If the person is like, this hurt me, you can't then just be like, but I love you. It's like, that, that, that's just, that's toxic. That is not love. And a little irrelevant to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like when people do things like that, where they'll say like, I mean, even with my friend, like when we had this like final conversation, she's like crying over the phone. She's like, it's just because, you know, like I love you so much. I love you so much. And I'm just, I didn't say it at the time because I was just crying too, but I was just like, you don't, this isn't loving. Nothing that's happening right now is loving. So don't confuse me and break my heart while you're telling me that you love me. That doesn't make any sense. It's like Pheromone in Drag Race where she's like, you don't love me to Valentina. It's a deep cut reference. I hope someone understood that. (laughs) Well, it's like people who are like, it's only racist if... You know, somebody says, I'm being racist right now as they're doing it. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, actually, it's just the thing that you're doing that matters. Like, that is the whole deal. Yeah. And not how you personally feel about it. Like, yeah. Well, it doesn't your intentions don't, it's like your intentions can be, you can think that your intentions are good and still be your impact is harmful. It doesn't matter. It doesn't lessen the impact, even if you're like, but I meant to do a good thing. I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing the right thing because the, the lives that you're impacting are being like, this is awful. This is hurting me. You need to stop this. I don't really care what you thought you were doing. Stop the behavior and change your mindset. Oh, yeah. Speaking of intentions versus impact, is it time for a fight Bye, corner? corner? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, 
I feel like I've put some real baddies in the fight corner recently. Last week was J.D. Vance. Upcoming one is Rob Manfred, who... <laughs> but commissioner of baseball, for those who don't know. So this is maybe not a fight corner. Perhaps we're inside the Chili's having tense appetizers. Ooh, like I love a good tense appetizer. <laughs> yeah, like we're not... We have not ordered Mark's because it's not that kind of... It's not that kind of gathering. Like we are very tense in this booth right now. <laughs> But it's like it's like a it's like an ambiguously bad vibes corner because I don't necessarily want to fight Lauren Daigle, and also now, like now that I have recently transed my gender, it might be misogynist for me to fight Lauren Daigle. I don't know. I'm so uncomfortable right now. I like imagining the vibe. It's like making me hurt. Yeah, yeah. It's so, like you took away the Mars from the equation too. Well, yeah. Well, Is it even happy hour? Those appetizers are going to cost twenty dollars. Full price apps at the Denton Chili's. <laughs> we're in a we're in a strip mall parking more lot. Nothing than full price apps at the Chili's. <laughs> like yes. what? These egg rolls are twelve dollars? No. So just imagine we're there with Lauren Daigle and her head wrap. Is it culturally appropriative? We're not sure, but we're here to weigh in. The thing about Lauren Daigle, my personal beef with her is that. She, her entire album was added to the soundtrack at the Denton Barnes and Noble where I worked for two years. And so I know every single one of her songs and I hate them. Not because they're bad songs necessarily, but just I had to hear them all the time. But so Good Christian Fun has pointed out uh, that she just stole Adele's sound. Like if you just listen to an Adele album, you're going to have a better experience than listening to a Lauren Daigle album. So that's my personal beef. But the Lauren Daigle of it all is that she's just kind of ambiguously... There's just some interesting things happening there. So she like wears a head wrap all the time. She is a white person. And I, you know, I don't want to like claim cultural appropriation, but I don't feel that her heart is in the right place. She also is like... (laughs) Perhaps this is where we should start. Is that... She accidentally apparently walked into a Sean Foyt concert (laughs) in the middle at like the height of like the anti-masking like QAnon adjacent run for Senate that he was doing. And I don't, he did, he failed. He lost, he he like lost a Senate run. Senate. Yeah. Oh my, how have I never seen maybe this? Campaign in the, ads? Maybe it was like the state, the state House of Representatives. Like, I don't know. He had a political run where he did try to I, hold on. Well, office. that's the rabbit hole I will be diving deep down into at the end of this podcast. <laughs> Welcome. But so Sean Foyt, you know, hates masks and is it goes basically goes to wherever a Black Lives Matter protest happened to like then uh to, Congress. Sorry, to, I just looked it up. Oh, thank you, Isaac. Let us oh, worship. And, and to let us love. worship. That's the name of the, his, his little tour was Let Us Worship. So anyway. and, but I mean, there are, I mean, there are like hundreds, if not thousands of people who attend these events. And so the idea that you could just accidentally stumble upon it and end up on stage <laughs> with a mic in your hand seems a little suspect. Yeah. I mean, unless like she was like Star Trek transported and then like was beamed in and was like, Oh no! Oh, are we? Was that look up child playing? Well, since I'm here, I might as well. 
I want to say that it happened at the one in Washington, D.C. And so it's like, that's there's a lot of security in Washington, D.C. Just in general, it's hard to get places. So if we were at a Chili's, I think I would start the conversation with like, what's the real story here, Lauren? And then I would also ask her if she was affirming. But I also, I want to bring up that she thirsts after KJ Appa, who plays Archie on Riverdale. She thirsts after him on Instagram all the time. (laughs) Really? Yeah, like she is in the comment section. She is a little bit shameless about it. You know that um, that actor played... Uh, Jeremy Camp in like the Jeremy Camp biopic. So maybe I have seen it. I watched it in quarantine. It? I haven't. Is it okay? <laughs> is it worth Lizzie and I getting high and watching? Like, is it funny enough, or will it be like, oh no? Uh, I mean, so I was alone. I had been alone for approximately thirteen weeks at that point in quarantine. It was early quarantine. I had also had. I drank like an entire bottle of wine over the course of that movie. Uh, so I don't know if I'm the best judge. I did enjoy my experience of it, but I okay. also hadn't talked to a real human in a long time. Okay. Grace, okay. Grace, if you're looking for a recommendation like that, the answer is Assassination 33 AD, <laughs> which that? is an evangelical movie about Muslims inventing time travel to go back in time and execute Jesus. What? Yep. Yep. Assassination 33 AD. I promise. Is it a pure flix movie? It's I don't I don't know if they specifically produced it, but it is exactly in that vein, and it is incredible. Oh gosh, yeah, damn, God, Pure Flix is uh, their movies are so weird. They, I mean, Christians love to imagine being like American Christians love to imagine that they are oppressed, and they love to like make a bunch of movies about this imaginary oppression. Well, can't recommend that one highly enough for the exact conditions that you described. That's what we love to do, Lizzie and I love to just like get high and watch a really bad movie and then talk about it on our podcast. Well, the RG from Riverdale, uh, <laughs> Jeremy Camp biopic, maybe wouldn't be it. Except, I mean, it's just crazy because it's like he is 20 years old. I mean, it's a real story, but he's 20 years old and he like meets this girl at Bible college and then she gets cancer and he marries her and then she dies. It's sad, it's, right? Because I remember sad. kind of hearing about that when I was a kid, like kind of hearing the Jeremy Camp story. It's sad. It's also watching it, you're like, it's it's just extremely weird to watch because you're like, why are you capitalizing on this extremely sad story about what happens to this family? And then like also they shoehorn in right at the very end that he meets his second wife. Like, I mean, it just like he he becomes a CCM star. So like he is like at this incredible concert that he's like come back from. He's written all these songs about his dead wife and he's like now at a concert. And then at this concert where he's like, see what God has done for me through yeah. the death of my wife from cancer. It then shoehorns at the end where he like meets his second wife. And it's like, why did you have to include that? He's married to the lead singer of uh, Benjamin Gate, right? Like there was another, let me see the leads. Yeah. The former front woman of Benjamin Gate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember like when they started dating and they were like a Christian music power couple um, and love that for them. Anyway, so that we've gotten a little far afield from Lauren Daigle, but like, again, I think if we were at the Chili's, I would yeah. just be asking her some pointed questions about, is she affirming? What, what's up with Sean Hoyt? It was New Orleans, not Washington, DC. Uh, and also I just like, you 
she probably, I think she lives in Louisiana, but she probably is like less than six degrees of separation from KJ Appa. So I just kind of ask her like, what's going on there? Like, are you, are you interested? What's the DTR mm-hmm. and what's the age gap? Cause he's not very old. Yeah. Can I read y'all a quote from uh, Lauren about the uh, concert appearance? Okay. Yes, please. <laughs> I have wept pleading for this chaos to dissipate and for harmony to return. We need unity when people are desperate, suffering, starving, or out of work. Wait, that's it? That's, yeah, <laughs> that's that, it. that was part of her statement. It, it was when... Um, it's the end of her statement when they said... When they disinvited her from being a part of the New Year's Rockin' Eve thing because she went to that concert. She responds that she has wept, just like Jesus. It's just like a heavy sigh. I feel like... <laughs> oh, I... I... I think it's like the Spider-Man quote with great power comes great responsibility. And I know that Lauren probably didn't recognize the powerhouse that they were going to bill her as when CCM sort of hitched their wagon to her. I do think that she was a response to Adele. And I think that record was very much a response to, I mean, because Adele sells records better than anyone. Like I remember that Dave Grohl quote about like music isn't dead. Like Adele is selling. Like for people who are talking about music sales are down. Like it yeah, it's a it's a tricky landscape for musicians, but people will buy good records. And Adele has shown that. And I think CCM was like, ooh, this is we can we can do this with like a Lauren Daigle who has an incredible voice, who's incredibly talented. I I'm not sure exactly how much she knew was going into the molding and the marketing of her and the branding of her, but it doesn't negate her responsibility um, specifically with like the cultural appropriation. And I think that with like attending a super spreader event, it's just, it's this, it's the thing I come back to with Christian music is like, you can't just continue to act beyond reproach and then be like, I'm just trying to spread love. Um, and I'm just trying to like build unity when super spreader events are contributing to the prolongedness of this pandemic and to like just th- this I- intense tragedy that we're living through, you know, you don't get to skirt around accountability. And I think that that's something that is probably a difficult lesson for CCM artists to learn because they've never had to go toe to toe with it before. Mm. That's what I would say to Lauren is like, I don't know exactly how much you know. I understand that there's a machine behind you that you sometimes might feel like you don't have a lot of control over, that you're put at radio stations with people whose views you might not agree with, but you have to kind of be cool with. And I want you to know that that is harmful, that going along with it, that playing along, playing nice with certain crowds is harmful. And like, what do you want your legacy to be? How does this age for you? For real? Like, look at like a Michael W. Smith. You know, like there's so many artists who it's like, where does this go? Where does this lead for you? You're now playing at a QAnon rally. Do you feel good about that? Is that what you want for your legacy? Is that what you want people to know you by? Because they say that they'll know we're, that they'll they'll know that we're Christians by our love. And I'm telling you that like taking accountability and responsibility is a loving thing to do. And you can be better and you should expect to be better. That was a uh... get the marks. Get the marks now. Yeah, it's now. Bring them around. Get the picture. I said what I have to say. Wow, wow. Um, it is happy hour now and the appetizers are bottomless. 
I love mozzarella sticks. That would be important for me. Go ahead, CJ. I was just going to say, well, Grace, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Is there anything you want to plug besides Preacher's Kid? Anything you want to put on our radar coming up? You know, listen to Preacher's Kid, uh, stream somewhere wherever you get your music. And you can listen to the podcast I have with my wife every Monday. It's called Under Our Roof and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Well, (laughs) takes have truly been revealed. Every take. All the takes. Thanks, everybody. 